You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your host today is Carlos Casados. Our guest today is James Sakalos. James actually has the distinct honor of being our very first repeat guest. We interviewed him last year from Melbourne, Australia over Zoom, but this time he came to California and sat down in person with Carlos. James is an internationally acclaimed NLP trainer and innovator who has studied with all three of the co-creators of NLP, Richard Bandler, John Grinder, and Frank Puselik. He's also the developer of Spiral Somatics, which is a groundbreaking method of reading the subtle physiological indicators of fundamental values, attitudes, and core beliefs. So, welcome to the Authenticity Show, James Sakalos. Thank you, Carlos Casados. I should say, uh, welcome back, because this is you not should, the first. Same time. I should. As well. I'm going to say it. So, welcome back. Here well, I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's good to be back. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, first of all, great to see you again, and also I'm glad that we're going to get to explore some of the topics that we've been covering over the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. because you, in fact, came here. Um, couple of weeks ago to teach round two of the spiral somatics course, which mm-hmm. um, I really enjoyed taking the second time for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get a little, for those who haven't heard about spiral somatics yet, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, those who have, who, who've heard our other episode, um, um, where we interviewed James talking about spiral somatics, so there'll be a little bit of review on that. So mm. can we talk a little bit about just first broadly... What is spiral somatics and also um, why would someone even be interested in hearing about it or studying it, getting into it? Ah, oh, bug it if I know. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> no, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, <clears throat> so spiral somatics, uh, for people who are not familiar with it, which is going to be almost the entire population of the earth, <laughs> um, is uh, <laughs> a really simple way of describing this is it's it's a way of exploring the link between body and mind it's a way of exploring the ways in which your physiology shapes your internal experience and your perceptions and also the ways in which which your internal experience and perceptions shape your physiology that's a link that goes both ways because most people are familiar with that to the extent that you know, you can tell if someone is is kind of slumped over and they've got a big pout on their face and they're all teary and stuff like that, then they're probably not very happy right now, you know. Um, so there are certain things that for most people are pretty obvious. Like you know that, you know, you see this happening in someone's physiology and indicates certain things about them. Uh, but there is no, no limits to that. Anything that happens inside you is expressed in your physiology. Uh, and uh, anything that you do with your physiology has uh, an effect, maybe a little effect, but has an effect uh, on what happens inside you. So spiral somatics is just a, uh, a very deep and rigorous and thorough exploration uh, of some of those links. And uh, it was the result of me uh, extending on and refining uh, some work that was first pioneered by my mentor, the late Roger Dina, uh, who discovered some pretty amazing things because he had, uh, I teach NLP. Roger was a, a masterful teacher of NLP, but he was also an expert in another field. Uh, and that field was called spiral dynamics. Uh, and in fact still is, although Roger was more closely associated with a guy called Don Beck, uh, than Chris Cohen. And so Roger kind of got drawn to Don Beck's particular blend, particular variation of spiral dynamics, uh, the result of his collaboration with Ken Wilber, uh, into spiral dynamics integral. Uh, but Roger was an expert in this thing called spiral dynamics, which is, uh, is a way of exploring different ways of making sense of the world and navigating through the world, different kind of cultural uh, blueprints, I guess. Uh, and in particular, the way in which cultures uh, transition through different phases uh, as conditions in that culture change. So Roger was an expert in that stuff, but he uh, also was an NLP trainer. And so he wanted to know, because uh, it was fairly theoretical, it was fairly um, abstract, I guess. Uh, and so Roger wanted to know are there things that you can manipulate? Are there things that are observable? Are there things, can we take this out of the realm of just abstract ideas uh, and into something that's that's concrete that you can really get your hands into? And uh, so he did some 
some exploration, uh, some experimentation, and uh, discovered that there are certain telltale signs, let's say, in someone's physiology that will let you know uh, how they how they do the world. So, in, uh, you know, a little bit like in this country right now, uh, there are people who are uh, particularly conservative and, you know, they their experience of the world is a particular way and they love Donald Trump and they, you know, they have particular views. And there are other people who have very different views and have a very different experience of the world. And uh, so there's, uh, there's a lot of that stuff around and Roger was able to um, kind of detect just based on how someone was using their physiology, how they were using their body, um, the kind of experience of the world that that person is likely to be having and the way that they're likely to filter their experience to create meaning uh, in the world. And uh, so I took Roger's work and uh, extended on it and refined it. Uh, and also, uh, well, before that, I, I did some modeling because he explicitly uh, was able to present certain of his findings, but he also implicitly uh, was responsive to a whole bunch of other stuff that he he never kind of presented explicitly. I know this is very abstract, uh, but let's say there's uh, he he explicitly was able to teach some some really basic distinctions in terms of the body mind link, uh, but he himself was uh, was quite adept at recognizing and responding to much more subtle, much more sophisticated, much more complex distinctions. Um, but he wasn't aware consciously, or certainly didn't teach consciously. Uh, the things that he was responding to. And uh, so I had to figure that stuff out myself by, you know, spending a whole bunch of time around him and finding some patterns. Uh, and that was the beginning of me then kind of extending on his work and refining his work, which then continued and is still continuing. For, so so you you're know. actually the, the developer of Spiral Somatics. Uh, yeah, it started with Roger's first distinctions, but everything that everything since then. So the, you know, you just came from an eight-day training. The stuff that Roger um, discovered, uh, he could teach in about, you know, half a day, basically. So, I see. Um, but the stuff that he did uh, went much, much, much deeper than that. Uh, but he never taught it, uh, and I don't know that he was consciously aware of everything that he was responsive to. And so I did a lot of modeling of the uh, the stuff that he didn't teach uh, and then went on and, and developed things uh, beyond that. And the most valuable thing about spiral somatics is not about other people at all. Uh, it's about recognizing in your body the way that you hold yourself and how that shapes your own experience and how that shapes your thinking and the way that you perceive the world uh, and how it limits your thinking and your experience in the way that you perceive the world and learning how to relate with your body in different ways so that yeah. you can begin to experience the world fundamentally differently and develop a lot more flexibility uh, in terms of the way that you experience the world, in terms of the way that you make meaning of things, in terms of all of that kind of stuff. It's developing a kind of flexibility of perception, a flexibility of identity, a flexibility of being because there are, there are just too many people who have this idea that they are in a box, that they are, right. uh, you know, this is the kind of person I am. And more more importantly, they have this idea that I'm not that kind of person, right? They mm. limit themselves, uh, you know, thinking, well, I couldn't do that. You know, other people could do that kind of thing, but I can't do that. I'm not that kind of person. I just don't have what it takes. I just, I couldn't do that kind of thing. If I did that, it wouldn't be me, right? As if like, you know, who the hell else is it going to be? If you did it, it's, of course it's going to be you, right? right. But, but they have this idea and they keep themselves in these boxes. And so spiral somatics is something that allows people to, by relating with themselves differently, by relating with themselves at a physiological level as well as a mental level and emotional level differently, allows them to recognize that they are not any kind of person, that they can actually uh, have choice to be however they want to be moment to moment so that they can be the right kind of person for the right situation. So that when you find yourself in a situation where a particular kind of person would would respond and handle this situation really well you just be that kind of person in that situation you find yourself in a different situation you be the right kind of person in that situation rather than thinking that you're a fish out of water that you can't adapt that you can't mm -hmm. you know there are certain places that you just can't fit in there are certain things that you just can't do because you just don't have the um you know the the stuff to be able to do that you know a lot of people come to this course and they're attracted by the whole you know be able to read people and mm -hmm. uh, you know communicate more influentially because you know exactly the right things to say and all of that kind of stuff 
uh, or for any number of other reasons. But in spite of you know the way that people might be attracted to the course, um, by the time we really get into things, they really start to appreciate this as a really as a personal development experience, as a way of of developing yourself and expanding your capabilities and expanding your kind of growing beyond your limits right uh, so that you can be more as it were yeah I, I can speak to that experience um just through myself and also watching the rest of the group i mean when people came in feeling initially uncomfortable about adopting certain postures that say had to do with being playful or independent um you know kind of um, oriented on the self and expressive uh when you got us doing those postures you know, you, all of a sudden people were breaking out into laughter and they mm -hmm. were they were kind of getting more playful and it was yeah. instant. The other part of it was that people who wanted to get in touch with their heart feelings, mm -hmm. that was a big thing too because, you know, it's it, the class wasn't about therapy or anything like that. But I mean, I think yeah. several of us had um, nice breakthroughs emotionally because, you know, when we connected into um, those memes associated with heart feeling, heart sense, love, um, uh, peace, respect, et cetera, et cetera. Um, tears broke out, just yeah. really, really genuine tears of um, emotional expression coming out. And and the safety, because we were in that meme anyway, yeah. was it was like it was okay. It was completely okay to just sort of be yourself. And that's what I wanted to talk about next, which is this preconception people came in with the, who, who am I, who, mm. who, who I think I am. And, and, and I'm going to be able to hide who I am and you're not gonna be able to see me. And, Oh, maybe I'm nervous because you'd study the spiral stuff and you're going to see who I am. But by the end of the course, people were like, it's okay to be me. Yeah. It's completely fine that you see who I am because mm -hmm. this isn't an unsafe space for that. And it's wonderful because now I get to realize that I can't not be me. Yeah. No matter how I'm being, I'm still being me. Yeah, and, and people go in with an idea that they're going to hide that, but you can't really. Hmm. You're just an open book. Yeah. That's super cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. And I, I really want to take a moment to uh, just indicate for those people who are, if you're listening to this right now and uh, you've just heard Carlos talking about how, uh, you know, people, you know, tears were coming out and stuff like that. That's not something that happens every time I run this course. That's, mm -hmm. that's, it's not a default expectation or anything like that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not like this is the kind of course where it's all, uh, you know, all, you know, exploring childhood trauma and pre people breaking down and going through boxes <laughs> of tissues and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it just so happened with this particular group because, um, again, you just respond to what's uh, what's happening in the group in front of you. And with this particular group, that's something that happened. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that... They were also uh, laughing their asses off. And, that's true. And yeah. having fun and giggling. And, and to be fair, no one was going through their childhood traumas per se, but they were just sort of realizing, wow, this is really profoundly deep to be able yeah. to be exactly who I am in front of other people. Yeah. And to be accepted and not judged. And so for, for a lot of people, that was a very emotional, you know, experience yeah i think it's a really important thing uh to recognize and this is something that is is a big part of the of the training in in spiral somatics uh, but i think just broadly in the world i think it's an important thing to recognize that there are lots of different ways that people do the world there are lots of different ways that people make sense of things the you know ways that people filter their experience the the ways that people decide on on the particular choices that they're going to make and all of that kind of thing and all of those ways of doing the world are all good there's like there's there's no bad guys uh, as it were and i think that's a, that's a really important thing in terms of your relationships with other people to recognize that just because someone is different from you mm -hmm. um doesn't mean that they're bad uh in any way uh it just means that if you have a sense of someone being bad then either um, there's just there's resources that they're missing. There's something that they're missing, or it's just that you don't really understand. You don't really understand where they're coming from. You don't understand the motivations and what they're experiencing and their backstory and all of that kind of stuff. But that also applies really equally to oneself because there's lots of people that will, you know, there'll be kind of parts of themselves. There'll be you know urges and there'll be uh, you know priorities and there'll be be things that they they don't talk about very much um, because they feel like uh, you know, I, I shouldn't have these feelings. I shouldn't mm. have these thoughts. I shouldn't have, I should be more of this kind of person kind of thing, you know? And so they, they kind of suppress certain things, uh, which in many cases, uh, in most cases are just, they're harmless. They're, they're normal. It's just that they might not be, um, 
as uh, you know as as widely um, approved among you know a certain group of people or something like that. You know, people have got all sorts of stuff where they um, you know just because of of the way that their parents lived or the way that their peers like to do things, they you know they have this idea well well this is this is how people are supposed to be mm-hmm. so i have to be this way even if there's parts of me that that want other things you know that, that want to experience the world differently and so they kind of they suppress those things a little bit they they kind of put those things down and uh, and so when people uh, have the realization that it's all good you know then there's a certain degree of self-acceptance that emerges from that which is just it's a really you know it's a nice thing and I'm pretty sure that a lot of people uh, don't realize that how they're experiencing the world is also how they're projecting themselves into the world. I just run into so many people who think that life happens to them, mm-hmm. and they're not really very aware of, you know, as you say, how they do the world, right? It's mm. not a verb for them. It's this very passive thing and that happens to them, and they have no control over it, um, not even over the filter. It's just mm-hmm. like, boom, there it is. Um, so when you say doing the world it's a really interesting phrase it's it's quite odd yeah. for people when they first hear that they're like what do you mean doing the world yeah well the way that you are or the way that you uh, make sense of things the way that you you know the attitudes that you hold and the decisions that you make and all that kind of stuff mm. all that stuff resonates outwards and i don't mean in a, a you know in a in a like hippie energetic kind of way i mean mm-hmm. like in a, in a really literal way you know if you're someone who for example um if you're someone who believes that uh, everyone is out to get you, mm-hmm. right, um, and you go into a bar, right, that attitude is going to inform the way that you conduct yourself in that bar, right? You're probably not going to be just all warm and cuddly and stuff like that when you go into that bar, right? Mm-hmm. If you're someone who believes that everybody's out to get you, you're probably going to be a little bit reserved. You're going to hold yourself back. You're going to kind of look at people in particular ways. Mm-hmm. And when people see you look at looking at them in those ways, they're going to then form perceptions about you, and that's going to affect the relationship between you and all of that kind of So everything about the way that you hold yourself, the attitudes that you have, the you know all of that kind of stuff, it affects the interactions that you have with other human beings around you. And unless you live on a mountain somewhere uh, with no other human beings around you, uh, it is is quite powerfully affecting, you are contributing to the experience of the world that you're having. Mm-hmm. You know, there's these kind of feedback and feed forward systems that take place there. And so it is very much a, uh, you know, it's not just a passive process, even though you might think uh, you know, well, this is just my internal experience. Your internal experience is having an effect mm-hmm. on the people around you, which is then, uh, because of the nature of your internal experience, going to reinforce the beliefs that you have, you know, because as uh, I think it was Robert Anton Wilson once said, or it might have come from elsewhere, uh, you know, what the thinker thinks, the prover proves, you know, whatever beliefs that you have about how things are, you're going to find evidence to support those beliefs, you Indeed. know, you're not going to notice the counterexamples, no matter what you think, no matter what your beliefs are, you're going to find these things, which is why you get some really interesting stuff um, with the uh, you know, Facebook at the moment, for example, is uh, doing a fantastic job of creating uh, spectacular echo chambers uh, where the only thing that really gets reflected back to you is the stuff that you already believe, the way that you think about things, which I think is, you know, potentially going to lead to people with uh, narrower and narrower views of the world and more and more certainty in their own kind of beliefs, let's say. Um, but even without the, uh, you know, things like Facebook kind of amplifying this echo chamber kind of thing, no matter what you believe, you're going to, because the sheer fact of you believing it means that you're going to unconsciously look for supporting evidence that supports for that belief. Mm-hmm. And you're going to delete any evidence that is in contradiction with that. And so your beliefs just continue to reinforce themselves and they get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Uh, And so they just amplify and shape your experience of the outside world in such a way that it aligns with your internal experience. And so it is really a, you know, you're, you're not just kind of perceiving things in a particular way. You are, through your very actions, kind of creating the things that are going to reinforce those perceptions.
you were also coming back fairly shortly, like like at the end of uh, end of May, beginning of June, mm-hmm. to uh, teach something for people who have had some experience with NLPs. People who've had at least a you know seven day practitioner course, um, and you're coming back. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, you're calling it Empty Handed NLP. Yes. So let's start with that because that's a very interesting title. Yeah. And and then we can get into what it is. Cool. Um, well, it comes from a, uh, as well you know, a <laughs> a story from my past. When I when I first started learning NLP, and uh, when I well, actually, when I decided to um, undergo a, a, my apprenticeship uh, to become a trainer of NLP, uh, which is something that I did. Like a, you know, the vast majority of NLP trainers these days will do typically three short courses in a row and in the space of a few months go from never having heard of NLP to suddenly being experts. Uh, I did a five-year full-time apprenticeship. It was a little bit different um, and have since trained with like heaps of people. But uh, when I decided to begin my apprenticeship, uh, when I decided that this is the path that I wanted to uh, wanted to kind of pursue, there were certain things that were really important to me uh, in terms of adaptability. Because one of the things that's very important to me is is portable skills um, when people learn very procedural approaches to things mm-hmm. um, that require a lot of setup um, that kind of assume a particular kind of relationship that assume a particular kind of context those things are not particularly portable right because you don't have developed the uh, you know you, you don't develop the the ability to uh, extract the key patterns inside of this and uh, adapt them from a whole for a whole bunch of different scenarios, a whole bunch of different situations. Uh, working with individuals, working with organisations, working with you know in education and all of those things. And so, uh, empty-handed NLP came about as a title because a uh, a friend of mine once upon a time ran a bookshop called the Esoteric Bookshop uh, in Melbourne. Uh, and hi, David. If you ever find yourself listening to this, and hi, Julie. And um, the esoteric bookshop was uh, was not just a bookshop; it was a it was kind of a one stop shop for the pagan community in Australia. And uh, there was a woman called Cassandra Carter, and uh, she was an interesting lady. She was a television script writer, um, and she was also uh, an expert in Celtic mythology and the tarot. And she was a uh, self professed witch. And uh, so she was there one day, and. Uh, just kind of in the background, I'm talking to my friend David, and there was a young woman came into the shop, and uh, she loads herself up with various things, books and essential oils and crystals and you know all sorts of stuff, and she's running around, she's flustered, and uh, so David's like, "Well, uh, can I help you? Are you you okay, right?" And she's flustered. And she goes, I, "Do you have?" And she asks for a particular herb, and. Uh, David explains that, well, there, there are certain herbs that we can stock, that we can import, that we can get locally. Uh, there are other herbs that we can't get locally and we also can't import because of certain laws in Australia. And that's just one of those ones. We just, we can't get that one. I'm sorry. And so she's visibly distressed, right? And David said, well, what, what do you need it for? You know? And she said, well, I've got this, I've come across this ritual, you see, and I want to do this ritual. And in the ritual... It says that I need this herb. It says I need a bunch of other things, and I've got everything except for this herb, and and I need it for the ritual. And just then, Cassandra Carter uh, piped up, and she said something that, even though it wasn't anything to do with me or my future career, it Mm -hmm. resonated in my brain. She said to this girl, she said, My dear girl, what I hope that you will one day come to realize is that when it comes to magic, if you can't do it empty-handed... You can't do it. And that really resonated wow. for me uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, that's that's what it's about. That's what I'm talking about in terms of this portability. You know, yeah. If you need scripts, if you need step-by-step procedures, if you need someone to hold your goddamn hand, you can't do this. right? If you need to follow something that's set out in a book, you can't do it. right? If you don't understand the patterns, if you don't understand the principles that make these particular processes work, uh, and you don't know how to, uh, you know, adapt those things in any circumstances. You don't know how to to take any of these things and be able to, uh, you know, facilitate someone who uh, speaks a different language where you, you don't have any shared language. If you don't know how to adapt these things to to work with a two year old child, if you don't know how to to take this stuff and 
um, work with uh, an entire organization as an entity instead of individuals inside that organization. There's, you know, if you, you, you don't know how to do that stuff, then you don't know the patterns, right? You don't know how this stuff works. Mm-hmm. Uh, all you've got is uh, a recipe book full of step-by-step procedures that you can follow. And so there's some people in the, the world of NLP that give people scripts, for example, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is wonderful. You know, you, you go and you do a seven-day training and you learn how to read. Great. Uh, you probably already learned how to read, but you certainly don't learn uh, an awful lot in terms of what makes this stuff work. And, you know, there, there's no understanding uh, that takes place there. And I think that's very important. Uh, and so I'm coming out here in end of May, end of May, early June to teach empty handed NLP, which is specifically for people who already have training in NLP, uh, who already have done at minimum of seven days live in person with a trainer, hands on with feedback training uh, at NLP practitioner level at minimum. Master practitioners and trainers are definitely welcome. Uh, in fact, it's probably more suitable for master practitioners. Uh, and we will be uh, taking you from having a whole bunch of tools, having a whole bunch of techniques and procedures and stuff like that uh, into someone who uh, understands how all of this stuff works and can adapt and can improvise and can uh, can make use of the, the, the principles and the patterns inside of NLP in any context uh, with no script with no step by step you know here's the Mm -hmm. recipe Mm -hmm. Um, you'll just know this stuff inside out uh, and be able to do anything at the drop of a hat basically well I'm I'm salivating that that is really exciting Um, and just to be clear this is not a certification course of any kind right this is a this is just developing skills this is what you've you know what you can see of us and where we are, and and how do you take us to another level? How to how to, um, in a sense, prepare us to be better learners, uh, better practitioners, um, and to get out of the tiny little box that we've been in and, and bring us to at least a, a bigger, broader uh, space with our yeah. thinking, right? And I'm not saying that people have been in tiny little boxes either. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, the majority of of folks out there that have done some kind of NLP training. Mm-hmm. Uh, have done it in a procedural kind of a way. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're in a tiny little box. It just means that they they haven't learned the, the kind of flexibility that's possible. They haven't learned how to take this particular thing uh, and use it for anything. I recognize um, depth and skill um, and art, you know, and mm. craft, you know, when it's developed to a high level. And I see that potential um, and have experienced the experience of improving through your training because you you're a freaking amazing trainer i'm in front of somebody who's really really good at this and i can now stand to benefit Hmm. from expending my time and my energy and resources to to learn so anyway and i think for you you for your kind words and uh, this is this is an example like you're you are someone who is drawn to this Mm -hmm. right and that doesn't necessarily mean that's the case for anyone else and i was just thinking it's a little bit like like imagine learning to play guitar, mm-hmm. right? Like imagine someone wants to learn to play guitar. Uh, you can have someone that takes some guitar lessons and they learn to play their five favorite songs, mm-hmm. right? And that's all they can do. They can play their five favorite songs, but they're happy because they can play their five favorite songs, right? And uh, who the hell is to say that they have to learn anything more than their five favorite songs? Like yeah. there's there's nothing wrong with that. You want to learn your five favorites, learn your five favorite songs. Right. Or they might learn more than that and they might learn to play and they might learn to become a guitarist uh, and be able to read sheet music and play whatever's in front of them. And, and, that kind, and now, great, now they can play guitar mm-hmm. and now they can play more than their five favorite songs. They can play any, any song that's put in front of them. Um, and that's fantastic. Not everyone that picks up a guitar needs to be Eric Clapton. Right. Kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. some people might want that. Right. And some people might want to move towards that. Some people might want to be able to learn to play improvisational jazz, right? They might want to be like just amazing and, and do all of this cool stuff. And it's the same kind of thing with this NLP training stuff. There's a lot of people that have learned to play their five favorite songs, and that's cool. And there's a lot of people that have learned to read sheet music, right? And they can play any number of things that someone, and that's cool as well. And there are some people that want to play improvisational jazz, and there's some people that want to be Eric Clapton, and, and that's full. That, you know, that's, that's the, the path that you're on. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It just happens that you, Carlos, <laughs> yeah. Uh, as someone who wants to go further, you want to do different things, mm-hmm. you know, in which case, great, you know, I'll see you in May. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'll see you with some other people as well. It's, I think it's really important that, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about is that it's easy for 
some people in this industry, and I don't mean just NLP. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, just seminars like, kind okay. of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's very easy for people to get a little bit culty, right? Yeah, that's true. A little bit true. kind of insistent on, you know, you must, right? You must do this and then you must do the next right. thing and then you must do the next thing and yeah. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's helpful and I don't think it's healthy no. because it's just not for everyone. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in doing the stuff that's, uh, that you want and that you need and that you're drawn to mm-hmm. um, and just going with that, you know. Also, quite, quite frankly, I, I noticed that there are different types of um, experiences people seek with regard to self-improvement. Like, like for some people, it's, it's enough just simply to have, you know, like, let me learn a couple of things and, and I don't want to be disturbed too much. I don't want to feel mm-hmm. agitated. I don't want to feel perturbed about it. I just want to learn a couple things yeah. and, and, and not have that questioned in any way. And there are other folks that... Um, kind of enjoy getting their ass kicked a little bit not for the sake of getting their ass kicked but in the sense of wow this is going to make me better and I can go whoa that really freaking kicked my ass but wow am I learning so much because there isn't this ass kicking so to speak with quotes around it right is just like high standards and being pushed through um, a rigorous program of some kind a broader question that I'd like to ask you about NLP and people's attitude about it. Okay. Okay. I was kind of aching to ask you this. Mm -hmm. Um, So there, there are a couple things that have come up in the academic community. um, In particular, certain people who have a a very negative point of view about uh, neuro-linguistic programming. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen quite a few, sort of hatchet pieces, if you will, like articles written to kind of dissuade people from mm-hmm. um, being interested in it, looking into it, etc. And some of that includes, um, you know, very sort of one-sided um, attacks, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. Can, can we talk about that just for a moment? Because I feel like some people do run into that. Sure. And I've been spoken to about it a couple of times. It'd be nice to kind of have a nice talk about it. Sure. Yeah. I'm a fan, and I've made so many references to this over the past week or so, so forgive me. Uh, I'm a big fan of a, a, a magnificent masterpiece of literature called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> and uh, in the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, there's a book that's literally called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? It's this uh-huh. little electronic book that has, uh, you know, it auto-updates and this kind of thing. And um, it's sold quite well because it's much smaller, more portable uh, to, to carry around than the Encyclopedia Galactica, which was the, uh, you know, the sum total of, uh, of uh, you know, all knowledge of you know, arts and sciences and history and, and all of that kind of stuff, um, which unfortunately was just like really, 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 really big and cumbersome and nobody bought it. Whereas The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, is uh, much easier to read, uh, much less accurate, but nonetheless, it, you know, it's an easy read, it's portable, all of this kind of thing. <laughs> and so it ended up... Um, uh, kind of superseding the Encyclopedia Galactica as the uh, you know the standard source of all knowledge. Basically, people would just refer to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, and so you know not an ideal kind of thing. And it was something that was written as a bit of a joke, right? Like this is a this is a book that was written. It's a humorous kind of book, and uh, we have that now. That's happened now, right? There's this thing called Wikipedia, and it's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Got it. Right? Uh-huh. It's it's the place that people go uh, to get data about things. And it's a terrible place to go to get data about things, um, <laughs> especially because of the culture uh, of Wikipedia, the rules of Wikipedia with different kind of editors and different, uh, you know, levels of privilege and, and that kind of thing, right? If you're someone with a certain, if you're someone at a certain level in the Wikipedia system, uh, you can kind of overwrite like other people, right? And so... What uh, what a lot of people do when they're kind of finding out about NLP is they'll go they'll go Wikipedia and they'll find the NLP Wikipedia page, right? Mm. And what they don't know because it's not really kind of there on the page is that that page is pretty much just dominated by this one guy, uh, Dave Snowden, and okay. uh, he's uh, got a bee in his bonnet about NLP, and so he you know the Wikipedia page is 
are just terrible. It just says all this this rot, you know. Um, and any time anyone tries to update it, anyone, anytime someone goes, cool, well, here's a whole bunch of research, right? Here's a counterexample. Here's, here's counterexamples. Here's a whole bunch of stuff. Here's a, you know, stuff like that. Um, it'll just get overruled, right? Those those edits will be deleted and it'll just be reset to the way that it was before, right? And so, uh, you know, the, the ideal of Wikipedia is something that's constantly being kind of updated as people get new data and that kind of thing. It's just patently not the case. Mm. Uh, and the NLP page on Wikipedia is a classic example of that. And uh, I'm really interested, by the way, because one of my, uh, there's, there's a guy that I know in Tasmania who's trained in NLP. He's done a lot of, of stuff with John Grinder, for example, um, and is, is pretty close with John Grinder. And he does work with this guy, this guy, David Snowden. Right? Really? And so I'm really, I reckon they would have some interesting conversations. You know? I bet. Yeah. Was he involved at all with the NLP wiki thing? There's a, another sort of wiki page. Or, uh, uh, the, the NLP wiki was res a response to the, the, the Wikipedia page on NLP, okay. right? Did it ever it was a, reach yeah, maturity? It's, it's or? there, it's out there, but it's not Wikipedia, right? Yeah. So yeah. People, people don't know people, about people it. People go to Wikipedia and they get this crap, you know, and... Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so that's that's a big kind of thing, right? And so, there's uh, you know a lot of people they go to the Wikipedia page, right? Mm. And then they and it's hilarious, right? Because every now and then you encounter people, um, you know, I have students, for example, and sometimes they say, "Oh, you know, my my cousin sent me this thing, and he said this, this, and this about NLP," right? Mm. And I read the thing, and it takes like three seconds to go. He's been to the Wikipedia page, right? Right. That's that's how you get your data. That's how, you know this is this is what people these days refer to laughably as research right right research is you go to the wikipedia page and you look at this crap and you go oh yeah, yeah see, wikipedia very authoritative you know right and um <laughs> it's good lord it's ridiculous and uh you know and oftentimes there's you know there's going to be references there to uh to some some papers written in 1984 you know <laughs> 1987 yeah uh where uh, some people made some straw man arguments about nlp and then you know tested those arguments so you know people basically investigated what they said was here's a claim that nlp makes mm -hmm. which was not <laughs> a claim that anyone anyone in the field of nlp would actually back mm -hmm. right and they investigated that claim found that it was false so this thing that no one actually gives any credence to in the field of nlp they tested and found that that was false therefore nlp is crap well pr presumably that. it was no one of note right like maybe it might yeah. have been a minor person teaching nlp well yeah who said might that have been someone who, who yeah. teaches it but not necessarily like one of the people you would have respected for example as a as a founder or co-developer or something like that yeah. right and there's so much involved in nlp there's so many because nlp fundamentally is it's about modeling right like this is uh NLP is a discipline concerned with uh, identifying uh, exemplars of exquisite skill, people who are exceptionally skilled at something or other, finding out what those people do that they themselves don't know that they do that allows them to have that degree of skill where other people in their fields don't have the same degree of skill. Um, that's what NLP is. It's modeling. It's finding freaks and finding out how they do what they do. Right. Um, but the result of that, the end result of that, is a whole bunch of processes for all sorts of things. You know, you model a, uh, you model a currency trader. What you get is, you know, here's here's a process. Here's a model for how to be successful at currency trading. Mm -hmm. um, you model a therapist. You go, here's how to do. You know, you model a Gestalt therapist, Fritz Perls. Here's how you do Gestalt therapy really well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you model a, a, a salesperson. Here's how you do sales really well. You and so consequently, over nearly forty years now. Um, it's getting pretty close to, I think. Uh, might even be, I don't know. I'm not doing my maths very good right now. Uh, but over decades anyway, um, there have been heaps of things that have come out of that process. Uh, and they're all wildly different things because the core of NLP is just modeling. And so, you know, sometimes what happens is somebody will pick one of these things that someone came up with 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And they'll take that as representative of everything in NLP. Well, thing, you know. is, well, are the eye accessing cues an example of that? Oh, classic load of bollocks. So, okay, can we talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Because there was just a reason why I say that because Smithsonian just published an article um, as if it were the first time this information was ever coming out yeah. um, about how it was a bunch of bunk. And, and, and mm -hmm. it, it was, again, straw man arguments about how, yeah. you know, if a person looks to the left, they're lying, look to the right, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Or looking to the right. 
Yeah, the first time that I heard of the, uh, you know, someone looks to the left, they're telling the truth, someone looks to the right, they're lying kind of thing was from a movie called The Negotiator with Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Uh, you know, way back in the days, that. you know. Yeah. I remember seeing that and going, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what, the, what the hell? You know, yeah. Uh, it's something that, like, someone got that idea in their head somehow, right? Yeah. And, you know, in the field of it, but we've never said anything like that, right? Yeah. And nonetheless, it's this idea that, that, you know, people have had, which is complete bunk. But uh, you know, but that's that's the that's the Wikipedia kind of side of things. That's the uh, you know the folks that you know do their exhaustive research by you know googling and coming up with crap. Uh, however, in terms of the reputation of NLP, there's a lot of other things that are really fair criticism, frankly, right? Like because of the the way that the field has developed over the past, in particular over the past. Thirty years since the since kind of the the, the late eighties, mm. um, certain things happened in the field in the late eighties, um, and so for the past thirty years, there has been a proliferation of people selling shiny baubles, and they don't actually know how to do anything, but they just like tell someone you know do this thing, and your life will transform forever, right? Uh, you know, and if it doesn't, well, that that just means that you need to come back and do the next course, and then that will mean that your life will change forever. And if it doesn't, well, then clearly you need to come back and do the first course again, and you can pay us again for doing the first course, and that'll mean that your life will change forever in every conceivable way. You know, uh, there's a lot <laughs> of uh, there's a lot of like snake oil. I think that's snake that's oil. the phrase that yes. was after. You know, yes, there's a lot of snake oil out there. Right. Um, an enormous amount of it, you know, uh, and it's not always intentional, but it's there's this whole vibe, right? There's this this vibe of kind of over prom like promising ridiculous things, um, and you know, almost in a religious kind of sense, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of kind of overlap between a lot of what's out there uh, in the field of NLP and the whole. Um, law of attraction kind of stuff and i don't mean law of attraction in the sense of uh you know people who believe that having this kind of mindset while you're going out there and doing things in the world to get your goals is a valuable thing i mean law of attraction in, in the sense of the people who believe that having this particular mindset and then sitting around and the universe will just give stuff to you right kind of thing you know right um uh, you know, there's an, a lot of kind of an overlap. Like this is the magic key. This is the golden ticket. This is the magic wand. You just do this thing and miraculously you will become rich and famous and successful and women will fawn all over you and you'll be on the front cover of Forbes magazine and all that kind of stuff, right? I can do that. Um, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, with enough persistence and hard work, yeah, probably. But, okay. Um, Thank God. <laughs> But there's a lot of that kind of thing. Like it's it's very it's slimy. It's just yeah, you yeah. know. Um, and so a lot of the criticisms of of the field of NLP in that particular regard, like, you know, people promising things that are just ludicrous, um, and uh, you know, the whole thing just being sell, sell, sell. Um, frankly, is a pretty fucking fair assessment of the vast majority of the field. You know, right. not everybody. No, but, but um, we do see that. But yeah, you do see a lot of that kind of thing. Yeah, you know? and I know that you have personal reference for for some of that kind of I thing i do absolutely um, and uh not a fan yeah it's it's sad uh, you know and it works out for me though because it's really cool like you know I, I get a lot of um uh a lot of people come to to train with me because they go googling right yeah and uh, they google a bunch of websites of nlp trainers and whatnot and then they find my website and they go oh and they they contact me and they go I wanted to come and train with you because I looked at a whole bunch of other websites, right? And they all just looked so salesy and hypey and and yeah. it's like oh, I just didn't trust that they looked dodgy and right. And yours is not salesy; it's not hypey. It's like you seem pretty much. No I remember Jamie, right? So Jamie Smart, it's a friend of mine from a, a ways back. He had an experience here in the states somewhere where someone had gone to some events that he'd done or, or he'd met some people, and they gave him a particular compliment. They said, you know, I've met lots of NLP guys, right? And it's so nice to meet someone like you because you're the first NLP guy that I've met that's just normal, oh. you know? Yeah. And uh, so I'm, you know, he's interviewing me in, in Leicester and he told me that and he just said, I'd like to extend the same compliment because I've had the same thing. I know lots of NLP guys and it's so nice to meet an NLP guy that's just normal, 
Meaning know. someone you can actually talk to who... Yeah, just normal human yeah, being. Human being. You know, rather real than... Real feelings. Genuine. <laughs> you know. Yeah, larger than, instead of being larger than life all the time. And yeah, exactly. Super highly polished and... Yeah, not yeah. not having to be super duper like I'm, I'm king of everything yeah. or, you know, I'm... You know, radiant being of lights or you know, shiny shoot suits or any of that, just yeah. normal person kind of yeah. thing, you know. And so, uh, you know, I, I get people coming to train with me because of that, right? Like they they go and they go to to websites, they look at other trainers, they go to other trainers' events, and then they come and see me, and they go, "Oh, thank God!" <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. There's so much stuff out there, and on the one hand, yeah, that's nice for me, mm-hmm. but on the other hand. It's it's kind of sad for the field because I mean, there's just so much stuff out there. This is an experience that so many people have. They go out there and they find someone who's an NLP trainer, and they you know if they they look at the website or they get a product or they go to a, a you know a seminar or an evening event or something like that, and in many cases they just get this overall impression of like this is just its shiny hype, rah 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 salesy kind of stuff, you know. Uh, and there is so much of that in the mm. field you know mm-hmm. uh, it's a really big thing and so when people make those kind of criticisms when people talk about NLP as you know it's sleazy stuff and there's people that are just constantly trying to sell things and there's people that are constantly trying to you know make outs that you do this thing and you're your whole you know you, you're going to suddenly be Tony Robbins and, and all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. when people make those criticisms they're kind of right that's that's a, a large portion of the field, you know. And over the past 30 years, that that kind of portion of the field has just swelled to the point where the people who don't do that are in a minority now. Uh, there's a very, very small number of people. You know, like I was looking at, um, here we are in California, right? Uh, this is a really popular state. This is like the most popular state in the US, is that? Like you yeah, get a lot of people I would here. say so, yeah. Yeah, like you got heaps of people, lots and lots and lots of people in this yeah. state, you know. Tons, yeah. Um, a lot more than in Australia. You've probably got like five times the population of Australia or something in just in California, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I was looking around because I wanted to kind of hook up with some uh, some people in the NLP field here. I want to kind of make some connections and, you know, get to know some people. And uh, so I've been, you know, talking to people and I've been Googling and I've been just, just kind of, you know, who do I want to connect with here? Um, who are the people that are not the hypey, hypey, shiny suits um, you know, big teeth, cell salvation kind mm-hmm. of folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's only a couple of schools, and by a couple I mean two, yeah. um, that are, you know, people that really stand out in contrast to that. Because mm-hmm. um, it's like the field is just, and it's it's like that everywhere, right? Like the field is just full of hype, uh, essentially. But there's still good people out there. It's just a case of kind of sorting through and finding them, let's say, you know. And some of them don't necessarily call what they do NLP, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's like people like Steve Gilligan we were talking about earlier. Yeah, that's right. And I also wouldn't call it what he does NLP. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, there's there's good people out there. But speaking of Steve Gilligan, like Robert Diltz, for example. Robert right? Diltz, like this yeah. is, he's He's been around for years, and he's not a shiny suit, hype, hype, hype you know, sell the dream, sell, sell, sell kind of guy. He's a very different kind of guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the guy who's, you know, the motto for this guy's school is, you know, it's about creating a world to which people want to belong. That's beautiful. You know, yeah. And uh, that whole, you know, it's just, it's a different vibe. Steve, Ander- the late Steve Andreas, for example. Yeah. About as far from hype as you can get, you know. Right, <laughs> right. Um, you know, just a wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so there's there's people out there. It's just that you have to kind of sort through a bunch of stuff to find them, you know. Uh, and so that is a very valid criticism that a lot of people make about the field of NLP. I wouldn't say it's the case for everyone because it's not, right? But there's a lot. I'm glad we talked about that because, um, I mean, it's obvious to me that, that that's not all there is. But there, yeah. are, there are a lot of people who who won't dip into it simply because that's the only impression they have. And that is why I didn't get into it earlier. Mm-hmm. Because I thought it was that. Yeah, you know, it wasn't until I had a an example of a of a person being vulnerable in front of me who was a trainer who I thought, you know, she's being she she's doing her best to be real and she's yeah. doing her best to apply this to herself and her life um, and not to be the snake oil salesman, you know, step right up, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So you know, it, it was it was like a doorway entering into something, you know. Yeah. Um, very cool. Well, gosh, James, this has been great um, to revisit a lot of the stuff and to talk about new things with you. Um, it's always great speaking with you. Thank you. It's always great speaking with you. 
thanks for being on the show again. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Because this is really like, you know, the last time I was on the show, huh? I was in Melbourne. Right? Oh, yeah. We did that by Zoom. Right? Yes. So it's nice actually being here face to face and having this conversation. It's cool. Yes, it is. Very much so. And I'm really looking forward to being in your course uh, coming up in May. Looking uh, forward to having you there. So uh, um, I'd like to invite folks to stay in touch with you if they're interested, right? So they're curious about NLP, curious about you and want to ask you question um how do they get in touch with you they can go to www.nlp melbourne m-e-l-b-o-u-r-n-e dot com dot au for australia uh or they can find me at uh, facebook facebook.com front slash nlp melbourne again m-e-l-b-o-u-r-n-e and they'll find me fantastic You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your host, Carlos Casados. Very special thanks to our guest, James Sakalos. This show was produced by myself, Oliver Altine. I also wrote the theme music for the show, which you're listening to right now. We would love it if you subscribe to our show on iTunes, Android Market, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please check us out and like us on Facebook, YouTube, you know, all the places, all the things were there. And our website, if you're into that kind of thing, is authenticityshow.com. Thank you for listening and have an authentic day.